Welcome. I'm glad that you have joined us today. To start our service off, I want to say the Lord's Prayer together. And then I'm going to follow that up with a children's sermon, which will be about four minutes. So you can jump to the sermon if you want by fast forwarding. Or maybe you could go and get your children and you could say the Lord's Prayer with us all together in community. And then they'll have a short message for the children. And so I'm going to use the word trespasses instead of debts. And I know many of you use debts. And actually in Matthew chapter 6, where this prayer comes from, the word debt was in the context of forgiveness. It's really a financial term borrowed to come and say, when we have done something wrong, we owe God a debt and he forgives us. But when others have wounded us and sinned against us, then they owe us us a debt and we need to forgive or release that debt. But we're going to say trespasses because that's really what it's talking about. Okay, so if you don't have the words, you might want to grab that outline that's on the link provided on this video, or it's on the church website, www.chewilaefree.org, and you will find those words as a part of that website. Ready? Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hello, kids. This is Pastor Steve. How are you doing? Are you working hard in your homeschooling? Finding some other things to do and not get too bored? I know you probably really miss your friends, and we all look forward to when we can be together again. But today I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes about something I'm going to be talking to the adults about, and that's the story of Jonah. But first... I want to show you something that I made. Do you know what this is? Yep, this is a face mask. And I made this out of a bandana and some hair scrunchies. And and so I can put it over my mouth. And I can go out and keep other people safe in public. But I made this myself. And I can decide what I want to do with it. I can just make it really pretty and set it on a table. I can go out with it, like I mentioned. I can even maybe pick a different color bandana. I have this color I could make and fold up, and I could make my own creation from that. I could use some rubber bands instead of these these hair scrunchies. And I could maybe, I could put one scrunchie on one side and a rubber band on another. Because see, because I created this, I can make it however I want, and I can decide what to do with it. And if I want to take it all apart, I can do that too. Well, that's kind of what the story of Jonah in chapter 2 is really going to be talking about. You see, God had told Jonah, go to Nineveh, 
the capital of Assyria. That was Israel's sworn enemy. And warn your enemy to repent or I will destroy them. Well, the last thing that Jonah wants to do is go save Israel's cruel arch enemy. I mean, what would you do? So he runs the opposite way and gets on board a ship and he's going to run from God to escape God. Like, you can really escape God. What is he thinking? But God sends this huge storm and it forces the sailors to throw Jonah into the ocean. And now, Jonah is sinking deep into the bottom of the ocean. And Jonah will soon be swallowed by this great big fish that probably was a whale. And he's going to have a very hard time inside that whale for three days and three nights. Kind of like a really long and really painful time out. Well, when we suffer, sometimes, you know, we think, well, Maybe my parents, they're just being mean. They just like to see me unhappy and and suffering. And sometimes people think that's what God does too. He's just being mean by allowing people to suffer. But I want to tell you today, suffering is God's way of helping us become better people. So during these three days and three nights inside the whale, Jonah thinks long and hard, and he has to look inside at his own self and say, hmm, I really don't have very good attitudes about going and following God's plan to talk to my enemy. I don't like those people. And so Jonah starts thinking long and hard about what he needs to change. So this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, I want you to remember you are God's creation. And God wants what's best for you at all times. And so ask yourself today, are there some things in you that God may want to change? And take a few minutes and maybe ponder that today and say, God, what do you want to change in me? Because maybe during this time when I'm bored and away from my friends, God wants to talk to you too. Okay. All right, if you would turn in your scriptures to Jonah, we're going to actually start at the end of chapter 1 at verse 17. We will be mostly in chapter 2. And so I would invite you to turn on your outline. You can find that in a link with the video, or you could go to the church website and you'll find a link there with the audio sermon. But let me ask you, did you get kind of tired of all the rain and the gray skies this past January. Remember how it was just cloudy unendingly? Well, imagine living where the sun shines every day. You know, there's a region in northern Chile where every morning the sun rises spectacularly over the Andes Mountains to the east, and it ends with a picturesque sunset over the Pacific Ocean to the west. Storms might rage in the mountains and heavy fog might hang over the ocean, but the sun always shines brightly on this strip of land. Sounds like an earthly paradise, don't you think? Well, actually, it's a sterile and desolate desert where no rain has fallen, forget this, 500 years. No streams, no plants, just wall-to-wall dirt and rocks. Now, taking that 
analogy, imagine no suffering in your life, ever. Imagine no more physical aches and pains when you wake up, no more relationship hassles, no financial worries, no coronavirus. We want sunshine, not grace clouds that are blotted out and that you can't see the sun. We love sunshine, but we're told that we actually have to have rain in between the times of sunshine. So likewise, suffering has a purpose that comes packaged as pain. So what's that about? Well, we're going to look at Jonah, and he's going to give us some principles on suffering, on a message that's called, Why Suffering? So Jonah, remember, is still falling in the ocean, and we're going to pick up that story. The sailors have thrown him overboard, and he has stubbornly refused to repent and obey God. Jonah's suffering quotient, though, is about to skyrocket. So how high is your suffering quotient? How much are you suffering right now? I want you to think about that because that's the backdrop for this message. And now let's look in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And it says, The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now provide here can mean like assign or create, either one. The idea is that God may have miraculously created this fish right then, or he may have sovereignly arranged for it to swim by at just the right moment. And either way, God is in control of the situation. Now, notice, did you see in that verse 17, Jonah's inside this fish for three days. Now, I think the fish was a whale. And before you write and tell me that a whale is not a fish, it's a mammal, I understand. But the Bible didn't make that distinction. It wasn't a book about taxonomy. And so inside, in this, what I think is a historic story, inside a whale, probably, he has lots of time to think, lots of time for his resistance to fade. Right now, I don't know about you, but I've got lots of time to think and evaluate my heart. Are you evaluating your heart? Are you thinking about things? Now, We talked in the very first message on Jonah about how skeptics have said there's no way Jonah can be a historic book. And this is one of the places where they love to attack the story of Jonah as historical. They're saying there's no way that a man could ever fit through the throat of a whale. It's just too small or a big fish or whatever. So no fish could swallow a man whole. Their throats just won't accommodate something that large. And they further claim that even if that did happen, no man could ever survive in the stomach of a fish or a whale for that long. Between the lack of air and the fish's stomach acids, the skeptics say it's impossible. However, in a museum in England, there is a whale skeleton, and it shows in this exhibit a man can walk through the mouth of this whale and pass through its throat quite easily. And in fact, whalers once found a shark skeleton 16 feet long inside a whale. So many species of whale are very capable of swallowing a man whole. And I want to share this historic story. Man, this kind of blew me away. In 1891, off the Falkland Islands, which are down in South America in the southern part, 
they were whale harpooning and a man named James Bartley, one of the crew, was swept overboard when the tail of the whale lashed the boat and made a big wave and James went swept overboard. Well, the crew went and they harpooned the whale and they brought it on board and as they cut the whale open and they got to the stomach, they saw this little movement, this kind of sporadic signs of life. And inside this whale's stomach, they found James Bartley. And so imagine that this guy had lived inside a whale for, for this amount of time. And so um, they looked at him and, and they, they saw that, that he looked really odd, but they revived him with a seawater bath. But, but poor James Bartley, he, his mind, which mine sure would have been, was unclear for two weeks to even get the story. They had to wait. And his skin was bleached white and it looked like thin parchment paper, which is, I think, happened to Jonah. So when James Bartley regained his senses, he gave this kind of chilling story. He says, well, I felt myself drawn into this, this place of darkness and intense heat. And so he kind of revives and he feels his way around. And then he, like, it's, it's just these slimy walls. And then the awful truth of his imprisonment hit him and he loses consciousness from fear, not from lack of air. And James Bartley confirmed that he could have survived for days. So it is possible. It's happened in history. And Jonah, that great fish, was God's tool of suffering to reshape his resistant attitudes and his unloving character. Remember, he does not want to go to Assyria. He's prejudiced. He's racist. He hates them. He doesn't like how they act. And so excuse me, Jonah has time to muse on his own self-centered choices as he sits in the stomach of the great fish and thinks about his life. So what appears to be a tragedy, God uses to shape our hearts and even bless us. So on the outline, I hope you're following along, suffering is a blessing in disguise. And I don't just mean that as some cliche statement. Suffering is God's tool that shapes us, so it becomes, for us, a blessing in disguise. So let me ask you some questions about our suffering right now with being a stay-at-home order that seems to be turning from weeks into months. How's your suffering quotient? As frustrations rise at being stuck at home, I want you to think about this question, and I'm going to give you a little bit of time to talk about it in a, in a minute or two with the people that are in the room with you. So what what is your mind dwelled on during these weeks? Your job, running out of money, concern for your health, tensions at home, because domestic violence cases have skyrocketed in eastern Washington. How about loneliness? Has your mind dwelled on that or boredom, growing numb from watching TV? And maybe you're worried about what tomorrow will bring for our nation. Well, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. In fact, all of that paragraph is great, you know, about looking at the lilies of the field, you know, and the birds of the air. But in this verse 34 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So can we release our worries, just kind of roll them and cast them onto the Lord? 
Can we release our worries that keep us from hearing God? Now, don't push away suffering. Don't allow disillusionment about what's going on to wrap around your head like the seaweed wraps around Jonah's head. Because God's speaking to us. He wants us to hear what he's doing and look beyond the news headlines to say and ask, what is God doing? What's he doing in my life? What's he doing in our nation, in our world? So right now, let's be honest, there's no absence of people who are, are afraid. And many of those people are freely sharing those fears. But is there such a thing as watching too much news, reading too many social media posts that are sounding the alarm? And I thought about that this week when I had mentioned before in the 2011 Egyptian revolution when we were living in Egypt, we had to have come to a point where we stopped always watching the news, even though that's all we had. The internet had been turned off, cell phones had been blocked, and Watching the news all the time, it just fed our fear and distracted us from hearing God. We were just always in this, this high state of, a, of alert with adrenaline flowing, watching the news. What's going to happen next? Are they going to move into our section of town? And so we might be doing the same thing when we just keep hearing all of the fear accounts and reading about them. And so maybe we need to ask ourselves, can we get so caught up in listening and passing along speculations about the coronavirus, and we don't know that they're for certain true. I don't want to give you a verse, and I want you to think about this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. 1 Timothy 1, 4 talks about being distracted with speculations. And it says this, Such things promote controversial speculation rather than advancing God's work which is by faith. And I think we have a modern day example of how we speculate and get distracted uh, by things that might be really myths. I think a lot of them are. So Christians have a higher calling, I believe, to deal in God's truth, not human speculation that feeds fear. So I want you to go back to that first question I just asked a few minutes ago. What has your mind dwelled on these past weeks? What have you been thinking about? Your job, running out of money, concern for your health, tensions at home, loneliness, boredom, growing numb, watching TV, worrying about what tomorrow will bring. Take a couple of minutes and talk with somebody that you know, hopefully in the room, or call them on the phone and chat about it. And let's not just hear the word and see the example of Jonah and think a little, huh, yeah, okay. Let's actually unpack it and see what we can do for our own hearts. So I'm going to give you about 20 seconds, mostly not because you're going to get done that quick, but so you can go and pause your, your TV or your computer or your phone or whatever, and then we'll be back. Welcome back. We're going to now move into chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. So now Jonah, he's inside the fish. He's had some time to think, and he's going to recount what that was like. 
So verse 1, Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. What Jonah is doing is praying a a psalm of thanksgiving to God. It's a, a prayer, a song. He realizes God has preserved him. Jonah has confidence that God hears. Jonah has faith that God has already answered. And then Jonah is now going to recount his despair at his impending death and feeling like he's buried in his grave. Verse 3, chapter 2. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Can you imagine Jonah just looking up? The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. What a gruesome turban that would be. Well, imagine Jonah, so ready to die, just a few hours before, the day before, all those days before. And now he discovers that he will die, but it's going to be a slow, agonizing, traumatic death. Imagine Jonah kind of groping around in the, in the darkness to figure out where he is. And like that example of James Bartley, you know, he discovers these slimy walls of a fish stomach or a whale stomach. And then he realizes his slow and agonizing fate. I mean, I can't even imagine how horrifying that would be. So can you identify, I mean, even a little, obviously we're not in a, in a fish stomach, but do you feel like your fate is just dragging on endlessly? You don't know where it's going to go. You feel trapped. Well, Jonah describes it with some poetic imagery that here's my despair, he says, and here's God's control. And he uses some of these words that we read, the deep, heart of the seas, currents, waves and breakers, and seaweed wrapping around his head. It's a picture of an overwhelming, smothering death. And he has to contrast. This is like, this is God's control. He he has his hand on me. There's nothing I can do to resist. And so here I am with my despair and God's control over every aspect of my life. So Jonah, most of all, I think, fears being banished from God's presence. He comes to that place. He says, literally, it says, I'm tossed beyond God's eyes. So eternal separation is the worst fear of all. When we really face death, a lot of people suddenly come to that point of reviewing their life, and they're terrified. What will happen to me next? What if I am going to be separated from God? And so Jonah has one final desperate chance in the belly of the whale. Throw himself on God's mercy and look again to God. Jonah decides that he will die worshiping and longing to be reunited with God. So verse 6 goes on in chapter 2. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath buried me in, uh, buried, barred me, I'm sorry, the earth beneath barred me in forever. 
but you bought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. <clears throat> when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So just at this point of death and utter despair, God intervenes. This is Jonah's turning point, I believe, in his life. He has prayed and prayer has altered the course of his life just like it can in our lives. It may not be dramatic like Joseph where you're about to, I mean, Jonah, where you're about to get um, spit up onto a, a beach, but prayer can really change things. So Jonah has to come to the end of himself. He has to let go of all of his own self-promoting, self-protecting strategies. And so here is Jonah as, as he now starts to review his life and turns back to God and realizes all I've got left is dependence on God. So Jonah, he has to surrender his rights, surrender his agenda to yield to what God is doing. And as you notice, it took three days of agony for Jonah to finally submit to God's plan. So that's our second point. Suffering can turn us toward God. Suffering is a blessing if we'll let it be, because it can turn us toward God. In the aftermath of the Rwandan Civil War, Rwanda uh, in the 90s had a horrible uh, civil war between two warring tribes with incredible genocide and uh, lots of the, the Tutsis and the Hutus in uh, Central Africa in this what was called once the jewel of Africa and the most Christianized nation. They had a civil war, and Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, noticed there was this little Rwandan girl sitting in the back of a pickup in the hot sun, and she's kind of like clutching a blanket, and she's rocking back and forth, and she's singing quietly. So Franklin asks about her, and, and they tell her, well, she's one of the thousands of war orphans who has seen every member of her family murdered. And now she's all alone in the world. Nobody knows what she's singing because it was in French. And so finally a French-speaking soldier, they get him and he listens to this little girl singing. And he says to Franklin, well, she's singing something about God. And so Franklin says, well, listen really carefully to the words. What, what is she singing about God? <clears throat> As the soldier's listening more carefully, here's the song the little girl was singing. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Stripped of everything else, this little girl was clinging to the one thing she had left, her dependence on God's love. In your present circumstances, are you able to sing, Jesus loves me? Are you able, no matter how much suffering, how much pain, how much fear, how much frustration, could you still turn and sing to God, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So think about that suffering right now. Think about what, what is your primary response or your most often response? Is it like a crippling fear, a resigned numbness? seething anger, or maybe blame. See, there's plenty of blame going around right now, but does God really want us to get caught up in blaming at the expense of holding on to our hope for the new future that God wants to bring? And blame can distract us from that. 
yeah, we can have concerns about government and corporations, but we must be careful that our concerns as citizens do not overshadow our calling to reflect and serve God. Let me say that again. We can have concerns about government and corporations, but we must be careful that our concerns as citizens do not overshadow our calling to reflect and serve God. I believe that with all my heart. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse 2, Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, you might be saying, yeah, but but what happens when you run into an evil government? Well, remember, Paul wrote this command during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero. And he reigned from 54 to 68 AD, and he would end up murdering and torturing Christians. He was one of the worst. And yet, God allowed these words to be written in that era during Nero. So we can become so focused on demanding our religious liberty that we forget our spiritual testimony before the unsaved public. God has us here to know him more and to reflect who he is to those around us. So it's something else to think about. Suffering can turn us toward God. So what are we doing with that? So I want you, again, to, we're going to give you about 20 seconds to pause and to discuss with somebody these questions. What is your primary response in these last weeks? Has it been crippling fear, resigned numbness, seething anger, or even blame? back. We're going to finish off Jonah verses 8 and 9 and then on to verse 10 in a moment. But Jonah chapter 2 verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah recommits himself to his calling and mission. Remember, he's a prophet. So Jonah's worship is a song of thanksgiving. And now he's expressing and ending that song or psalm of of thanksgiving as a commitment of sacrifice to whatever God asks. But instead of worshiping God, Jonah cites that some people cling to worthless idols. Cling is a, it's a strong word. It means guarding as an object of reverence and trust. And worthless could also mean empty. So could some empty idols in today's world be our materialism, our consumerism, our individualism, our xenophobia? In the news, there have been instances of Chinese Americans 
being attacked and harmed and their property destroyed because people are blaming them for the coronavirus. That's an example of xenophobia, fear or resistance to any strangers or any foreigners, even though scripture tells us we're to welcome the sojourners. So the coronavirus is certainly exposing some of these areas. So when our focus is on our materialism, our consumer is our consuming things, our individualism, and even our xenophobia, we are missing putting God's kingdom first. Well, on to verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish, and it spit Jonah onto dry land. So now the fish has fulfilled its purpose. It's transported Jonah back to land, and, and God has ended phase one of changing Jonah's heart. See, Jonah's heart needed reformed. And so this has been phase one of that reform. Why do I say phase one? Because I think chapter four is going to give us phase two. Jonah's still going to need some more lessons to unseat his prejudices. But God shapes our hearts also in stages. He doesn't do it all at once. I don't think I could endure it if God showed me everything he wanted to change in me all at once. So he does it in his grace, in his time, slowly over time, stage by stage. So point three on your outline, suffering can deepen our spiritual commitment. Suffering can deepen our spiritual commitment. It draws us to God. It's a blessing because it draws us to God. And it does come to that place of deepening our spiritual commitment if we'll let it. I remember the day in February 1996 that I received a phone call from the doctor. Karen had breast cancer. And it was this numb and sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I immediately went home to tell Karen, and we cried together. We now belong to an exclusive club no one wants to join. I imagine my boys, then ages 9 and 6 and 17 months, I imagine them without a mother. I imagine me without a soulmate. Our life had changed suddenly and dramatically. And how could God do this? How could this, especially when some people said, oh, she won't be sick. A house cleaning person came and said, oh, God has given me a word that she will not have cancer. Well, she did. Two things began to emerge even before her successful surgery. Number one, a deep sense of peace that God would take care of us. And number two, an awakening to enjoy life to the fullest. See, trivial details now somehow lost their importance. That's what happens when you face cancer. And we would have to say now, we're going to stop and enjoy the daily blessings. Let's look for the daily blessings God gives us, and let's stop and count them and enjoy them. God had refocused our priorities, and we had to come to learn how to depend on him for our spiritual endurance and commitment. So how... Have these current hard times drawn you closer to God? Or maybe they've driven you away. How has suffering deepened your spiritual commitment? Can you find the blessings God is giving you today? Do you notice them? Even though I know there's for a lot of people, a lot of things are lacking. But what blessings could you see today that God has given you? How does God want to shape you during this time of quarantine? So one more little 20-second pause, and you can 
answer and talk and discuss with somebody how has suffering deepened your spiritual commitment. And we'll be back in 20 seconds. A man named Robert, his aging father was suffering from an incurable disease. It was very painful to watch his father deteriorate physically. And Robert often found himself wrestling with many difficult questions during this time. And one day he posed this question to his 15-year-old daughter, Elizabeth. And her answer gave him even more things to think about. He says, Elizabeth, what will you do if I end up like your grandfather someday? And she thought for a minute, and then she replied, I don't know, Dad, but I'm watching you to find out. One of the key ways that we influence those around us for Jesus Christ is when they watch how we handle suffering. When those around you see suffering turn you into a more godly, a more peaceful person, it will speak more than words can ever say. They will see that you are a real person with problems just like them. And it may even change their negative stereotypes about Christians. So what do those around you, what do your social media contacts, if you are on social media, what do they observe or read about you and how you're handling this time, how you're handling suffering? Are you spreading hope and faith to others in person and in these postings on social media? See, we have access to a, a source of power and hope that keeps us going in life. So let suffering do its shaping work in you. Would you pray with me? Lord, none of us like to suffer. None of us are running towards suffering, wanting more. And I pray, Lord, that we would not lose this lesson. It's a big lesson. It's a worldwide lesson. And I pray for us. I pray for our church. I pray for the churches of the of U.S. and the Christians and in the world that we can be testimonies of the power and the love of God to shape our hearts to become something that can't be explained other than the presence of the supernatural. So, Lord, let us not... Run away from suffering as quickly as we can. But let us understand what do you want to do to shape our hearts? How do you want to draw us to depend on you and not on ourselves and not on letting our emotions of fear cripple us or just turn numb or just get angry and lash out? Lord, help us to show off Jesus to those around us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>